Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Welcome to Gateway again. Hey, uh, before we jump into the message, just want to let you know we have this little QR code up here. And uh, you can just scan that with your phone or go to gatewaychurch.net slash info, And this will give you access to a site where you can uh, fill out an information card. We'd love for you to fill that out, especially if you have prayer requests. And we, we pray over those as a staff. Uh, but it also gives you access to message notes and uh, things like that, uh, our, our bulletin information. So easy way to get to that is just by scanning it or just going to that little site at the bottom, gatewaychurch.net slash info. Well, uh, this, this one's an oldie. Uh, maybe you've heard this one before, so bear with me on this. But there was this husband and this wife, this man and his wife. Uh, they went to the Holy Land, and they took the man's mother-in-law with them. And while they were in the Holy Land, uh, his mother-in-law passed away. And so the undertaker told him, he said, you can, you can ship her body home for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for only $150. Well, the man thought about it for a little while, and then he told the undertaker he would just have her shipped home. And the undertaker said, I don't get it. Why? Why would you spend $5,000 to ship her body home when she could be buried here? It would be beautiful here, and it only cost you $150. Well, the man said, well, a man died here about 2,000 years ago. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take the chance. <laughs> Well, again, it is good to be here on Easter today, uh, especially in person this Easter, because last year, uh, we didn't have that option, did we? we? We were online only. So I was actually looking back at one of my sermons from last year at this time. It was from April 5th last year, which would have been Palm Sunday last year. And the sermon I preached was called Jesus Over Despair. And so this was, if you remember, early on in the pandemic. And here, something stuck out what I said um, that I wanted to just kind of go over again. I, I said last year, right now, there's a lot of despair around us. Like every day we're hearing updates about this virus. Every day we're hearing more about more people getting sick, more people dying, more people losing jobs, more bad news. And it's easy to hear all this and to get lost in it, to, to feel despair, to feel hopeless and isolation. If you remember, we were pretty isolated back then. Isolation isn't helping these feelings. For some of you, this is especially difficult because these, these feelings uh, of despair are tempting you to go back to some old habits, to some old addictions. Others, your mind just cannot stop thinking about all the problems our world is facing and what this means for you and your family and your future. You remember those feelings? You remember last year at this time? You remember watching the news at this time last year? I remember watching the news and just seeing these images of hospitals overrun, beds in hallways, people on oxygen, countries just being locked down. And there was this overwhelming feeling of fear, this feeling of despair, this feeling of hopelessness. And though we're starting to, to see the despair pandemic hopefully is coming near to an end, it's easy to be living in a state of fear, isn't it? It's easy to get frustrated with the, with the way things are in our world, especially this past year with all the, the ugly politics. It's, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get discouraged with the state of our own lives sometimes. It's easy to be filled with despair and worry and anxiety. And, and all of those things are contagious, aren't they? Fear is contagious. 
Despair is contagious. Worry, anxiety, they're contagious. If you're around someone who is just overwhelmed all the time, that, that is just contagious to you sometimes. So yes, fear is contagious, but so is faith. And, and worry, anxiety, it's contagious, but so is love. Despair is contagious, but so is hope. And this day, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is where our hope lies because we believe in, we trust in, we worship, we serve, we hope in a risen Lord. If you've been here with us the past few weeks, we've been in a series called, Who is This Man? And what we've been doing is we've been taking a deeper look at who Jesus is, kind of from different perspectives. And so we've seen him so far as a friend of sinners. We've seen him as a compassionate healer. We've seen him as a suffering savior. And today we want to talk about him, look at Jesus as our risen Lord. Today, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in a passage, uh, Luke 24. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open up to Luke 24. In this passage, we're going to see that there were two believers who were on the seven-mile journey out of Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. And on this road to Emmaus, they had a personal encounter with this risen Lord. And they didn't even know it at the time. So let's look at this story in Luke 24. And and along the way, we're going to answer some questions that this, this passage kind of leads us to. But before I read it, let me set the context this encounter happens on the afternoon of the resurrection. So it's, it's Easter Sunday afternoon. As we read earlier in Luke chapter 20, Luke 24, uh, the women had gone to the tomb that morning and they'd found the stone rolled away and the body of their Lord was gone. They encountered two angels who told them that, that Jesus was alive. And so they went back and they told the other disciples what they had seen and heard, what, the, what had happened. Well, these disciples found their story pretty hard to believe. And so some of them went to the tomb to check it out for themselves. And here's what we read in verse 12. It says, Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So you read this and you can see that there was some confusion among the believers. And these two men who were leaving Jerusalem and heading to Emmaus, they were also confused and upset, but they were about to get some very convincing and amazing proof that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. So let's look at verses 13 through 16. It says this, Now now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So here's our first question we want to try and answer. Who were these disciples and why were they heading to Emmaus? Well, we don't really actually know who they are. We find out, we'll read this in a little bit in verse 18, that one of them is a man named Cleopas, but this is really the only mention of him in Scripture. Uh, One tradition identifies this man, Cleopas, as the uncle of Jesus, so he'd be the brother of Joseph and father of Simeon, who who later became a, a leader of the Jerusalem church. But this is all just speculation. We really don't know who this man is, Cleopas. And the other man, he's not identified at all. We do know that they are disciples of Jesus, though. And when I say disciple, I'm meaning more in a generic sense. Like any follower of Jesus can be identified as a disciple. If you're a follower of Jesus, you and I, we we are disciples of Jesus. But neither of these two are among the 12, the 12 disciples or 
the 12 apostles, we might say. So these two, uh, these two men, they were leaving Jerusalem and they were heading to a village called Emmaus. So they had probably been, been in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together. And as disciples of Jesus, they were probably there as, as Jesus uh, made his triumphal entry into the city and they welcomed him in. But by this point in Luke 24, they were returning to their home. They were leaving. Why were they leaving? It wasn't, wasn't Jerusalem where all of the action was. And they will read in a little bit that they'd heard about an empty tomb. Why wouldn't they want to stick around and see what was going on? But maybe, in addition to being upset and confused, maybe they were also afraid. If, if the Romans had killed Jesus, what would stop them from going after his followers as well? So maybe they were fleeing Jerusalem for their own safety. Maybe they were scared that they were going to be killed themselves. Here's another question from this text. What were they talking about? Now, this one's an easy one to answer because verse 14 tells us that they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. No doubt they were talking about the incredible and horrific events that had taken place the past few days, the the false arrest of Jesus, the unjust trial, the suffering of Jesus, the cruel death by crucifixion. Maybe they were talking about the testimony that they had heard of this empty tomb from the women. A third question, why was Jesus on the road to Emmaus? Have you ever thought about this one? I mean, this is the afternoon of the resurrection and Jesus decides to just take a leisurely stroll through the countryside toward Emmaus. It's kind of a strange thing to do after you've just raised from the dead. I don't know. Seems strange to me. But remember, Jesus didn't do anything without a purpose. And it seems like these two, two disciples, maybe it seems like they're heading in the wrong direction. And Jesus is about to steer them in the right direction. Another question just from these first four verses. What kept them from recognizing Jesus? Verse 16 says that they were kept, they were kept from recognizing him. What is that all about? So this one's a little bit more of a difficult one to answer. But we know from other passages in the Bible that Jesus wasn't always recognizable to people before and after his death. In John 1.10, it says he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And Paul would say in Acts 13 that the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. But these are really more, I believe, figurative references. Meaning, it's not that people didn't recognize him to be Jesus, It's that they didn't recognize him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But there were actual occasions where Jesus got away from the religious leaders because they didn't recognize him. And in John chapter 20, when Jesus appeared to Mary, she didn't recognize him at first until he spoke her name. So why didn't these two men on the road to Emmaus recognize Jesus, recognize our risen Lord? Well, it could have been that they just didn't expect to see him. Right? I mean, after all, they saw him die and be placed in a tomb. And so you don't really expect to see dead people walking around, do you? I mean, unless you're walk- watching like The Walking Dead or something like that. You don't expect to see dead men walking. And how many times in your life have you missed something because you just weren't looking for it? It, it could have been that they were just so distraught, so discouraged, so absorbed in their own grief that they had experienced in Jerusalem, that that they just weren't really looking at Jesus at all. Like verse 17 gives us maybe an indication of this. It says that they were downcast. Maybe their faces were downcast and maybe they just 
weren't looking at Jesus in the face at all. Or this could be that they were kept from recognizing Jesus due to divine intervention and that there was a divine purpose behind it. So let's read on. Verse 17 says that Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as, as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. They were, they were defeated. They were discouraged. Verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You ever get sarcastic or rude or short with people when you're upset, when, you, when you're maybe even grief-stricken, right? Sometimes we just say things that real shortly when, we, when we're upset about things. I, I kind of feel like that's maybe what's happening here. Don't you know? Are you the only one who hasn't heard about what's going on here? And so Jesus asked, what things? <laughs> it's kind of a funny question from him. What are you talking about, right? They said, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. It's kind of funny that these men are telling Jesus all about Jesus, right? Kind of interesting. They go on, verse 21. But we, we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. They had hope. They had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. Now, this was a belief that, that Jesus combated every single day, practically, of his, of his earthly life. These people, they were looking for a powerful political or military leader who would free Israel from their Roman oppressor and lead Israel to victory. One commentator, he wrote about these two disciples. He said, what should have been a day of hope realized, because they were encountering the risen Lord, what should have been a day of hope realized was for them the day of hope extinguished. They were hopeless. You ever felt that way? Like something you had hoped for, something you'd put your hope in, something you were excited about ended up not going through or not meeting your expectations, and you went from hope-filled to hope extinguished. It's gone. This is how they felt. They were hopeful that this Jesus was the one who would free them from Roman oppression. But when he was crucified, their hope was extinguished. They were grief-stricken. They were disappointed. They were hopeless. So they continued talking to Jesus, saying in verse 22, In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they, they didn't see Jesus. And this news, this news should have brought them more hope. that There was an empty tomb, right? But instead you can hear the, the despair and the disbelief in their words. Instead of hopeful, they were doubtful. They were so devastated and upset that they had forgotten everything they already knew to be true. And so Jesus then begins to give them a refresher course. Jesus said in verse 25, he said, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. 
Now, this is, this is a pretty amazing section of Scripture here. Jesus actually begins to preach to them. You know, sometimes we, we uh, attribute the first gospel message to Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But clearly, Jesus is sharing the gospel even earlier. He's sharing it right here. These men thought that they understood the Scriptures, but they didn't quite get it, did they? And so Jesus reminds them that it was predicted in the Old Testament that the Messiah... The Messiah would have to suffer. And if they really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they shouldn't have been surprised by all the events that they saw in Jerusalem over the last few days. And this passage, it's really so important because with great clarity, we understand that the sufferings of of Jesus, the sufferings of Christ, as well as his glory, they were all predicted in the Old Testament. It validates the Old Testament scriptures and shows that they are important and, and shows us that they are fulfilled in Jesus. But even after all this explanation of the Old Testament scripture, these men, they still don't recognize Jesus. Not yet, at least. Let's go on. Verse 28. It says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So this invitation to Jesus to stay with these men. That would have been an ancient custom of hospitality. But it's also really a good reminder to us about Jesus, that he will never force himself on anyone. He's not going to force himself on you. But he does come into your life and stays there when you invite him in. Let's go on. Verse 30, when they're back, when Jesus is back with these men, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then... Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? And so here's our last question before we get into some application. What caused them to finally recognize Jesus? What was it that opened their eyes? Maybe it was the way that Jesus prayed. Maybe it was when he broke the bread and they started thinking about Jesus' body with the bread. Some have suggested that it was when Jesus gave them the bread that maybe they were able to see the nail prints in his hands as he handed them the bread. You know, the, the, the Bible doesn't really give us any idea of what Jesus looked like. Isaiah 53, 2 says that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing in his appearance that, would, that, that we should desire him. So there was nothing in his appearance that made him stand out. In fact, the only physical identification given of Jesus in scriptures, besides an illusion that he had a beard, because uh, there's a prediction that he had his beard pulled when he was uh, suffering for the crucifixion. But besides that, the only physical identification given of Jesus in scriptures is that of the scars in his hands, his side, and his feet. And so maybe when Jesus broke the bread, they were able to see the scars on his hands for the first time. And this would have been an unmistakable sight to see. So let's finish out our story and then I want to make a couple applications for your life and mine. Verse 33 says, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven. So this would be the the twelve apostles minus Judas. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together And saying, these people were saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two, the two had been on the road to Emmaus, who had made their way back to Jerusalem. 
Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What a a great story of an encounter with the risen Lord. So what are some applications for us? I think there's a lot that we can glean from this passage, but I just want to point out two things for you today. And the first one's going to sound a little bit strange. The first is this. Don't get too comfortable with Jesus. As Dave Stoffer would say, now don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? We, obviously, we need to get close to Jesus. Obviously, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. But let's be careful we don't lose our awe of Jesus. Or bring Jesus down to our own level for our own purposes, and we forget who he really is. I think there's this real danger of being kept from recognizing who Jesus really is because we can get so distracted with what's going on in our lives or we get so comfortable with Jesus that we lose our sense of awe. If you were here last week, that was one of the main purposes behind last week's message when we talked about the the crucifixion. We went into detail about what Jesus really suffered because I think it's easy for us living on this side of the cross and living, you know, in this age where we have such access to scriptures and teachings about Jesus, then we get, we get to hear all these stories and it's easy for us to almost get used to them and to nonchalantly just say, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And, and when we do that, we're tempted to not even think about the immense sacrifice and suffering that Jesus went through because of my sin and, and to not think about how it's my sin that put Jesus on that cross, that led to that sacrifice. It's so easy for us to to gather on an Easter Sunday and just expect to hear about Jesus rising from the dead as if it's it's old news, as if it's just something that wasn't all that big uh, big of a deal because we've all heard this before, right? But this was the biggest of deals. The Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. He says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have already died, they're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying, if, if Jesus wasn't crucified and resurrected, then our destiny is hell. And our faith, it's a bunch of garbage. It's worthless. It's useless. The resurrection is a huge deal. It is of first importance, he would say in 1 Corinthians 15. But we can get so accustomed to hearing about it. We can get so accustomed to hearing spiritual truths that we almost become like ho-hum about them. We get so comfortable in our Bible study and in our prayer routines that we tend to forget that we are hearing from and talking to the Almighty God. Somehow, we've let the power of the resurrection become stale in our lives. And it's almost like we're unimpressed by it. And we miss the wonder of it all. Several years back, I did a sermon talking about what the ramifications would be if there was no resurrection. And here's just a a sampling of some of the things that that you could just erase if Jesus wasn't resurrected. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, then, well, there'd be no payment for our sins. No forgiveness, no salvation, no reconciliation. If Jesus is not resurrected, there's no peace between us and God. No relationship with God, no fellowship with him, no ultimate meaning in life. There's no real satisfaction then. There's no truly worthwhile motivation. 
If Jesus wasn't resurrected, you can just erase grace. There's no heaven, no reunions, no ultimate healing, and no real hope. And yet sometimes we treat Easter Sunday like it's just some other event, any other event. We treat the resurrection like it's any other event, like, like our favorite team won a playoff game. Oh, that's great. That's pretty cool. And then we move on. No, it changed everything. We treat Jesus like he's just some inspirational historical figure who we might quote every once in a while on social media. He's so much more. He is our risen Lord. And without him, we have no hope. Our risen Lord deserves our wonder, our awe. He deserves our full-time, complete devotion and obedience in every area of our lives. He deserves so much more than we could ever give him. One more point of application today. It's to live in the moment. And I know this sounds cliched, like I'm saying YOLO, which Jesus proved that isn't true anyway. All right? but, but think about it. That's you only live once. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> think about it. We, we can get so accustomed by, or consumed, I'm sorry, by the tragedies in our past that we miss the beauty of the present. Or we worry so much about tomorrow and about things we can't control that we miss what God is doing right now. I think if COVID has done anything for us, maybe, maybe it's made us appreciate things like our health, our family, our friends, our church, in-person gatherings in the right now. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were so caught up in what had happened that past week in Jerusalem that they failed to see what was right in front of them. They failed to see Jesus in the moment and they almost missed him completely. They, they did for a little while. The risen Lord was right in front of them, walking with them, and they couldn't focus on him because of their grief and disappointment. And I'm sure they regretted it after they realized who he was. I love what they said to one another in verse 32. They, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I think if Jesus is really alive in, a, in your life, he gives you a clear perception of what is happening in your life right now. I think this is a mark of maturity. You know what I'm saying? Like that we really begin to appreciate and value the present moment. We, we even appreciate how he might be working in the disappointments in life, in the hard times in life. Maybe in those moments we can see that at the very least, he's walking with us in those moments. And maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the moment when the risen Lord is becoming clearer in your life. When you're being able to recognize him for who he really is. Maybe today your heart burns within you as you hear about Jesus. Maybe your eyes are being opened to the risen Lord. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Yesterday was a pretty big day in the Harley household. My youngest daughter, Avery, was baptized. What an awesome day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Avery was baptized into Christ. And what a beautiful picture that is. You know, that, that baptism represents a death and a burial and a resurrection. 
We, we identify with Christ in his death and his burial so that we can identify with Christ in his resurrection. Right? That's where our hope lies. That's where our hope lies. And so it was really awesome to, to not just baptize our youngest daughter, but to welcome her as a sister in Christ too. Right? And that's what the resurrection is all about. Death and burial of Jesus and resurrection. He had the power to raise himself back to life. And because he has that power, he also has the power to raise us from the, from the dead of life that we bury in our past to new life here on earth, but even more to resurrected life in eternity with him. That's the power of the resurrection and that is the hope that we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can gather here today and, and I pray that we are in awe and in wonder of Jesus. That we are in awe that he would leave his place in heaven, take on flesh, become human, walk this earth like we do, feel pain like we do, experience joys like we do, experience hurts and relationships. We thank you that he would teach us how to live by example. We thank you for his teachings, his witness, his example, and the way he loved others, the way he cared for others. I pray that we would be in awe, that he would do all that, but even more, that he would willingly lay down his life for us. That we would be in awe that this perfect Lord would take our sins, my sins, my greed, my pride, my lust, my anger. He would take my sins. He would take the sins of my daughters and my wife and my parents. He would take the sins of us in this room. He would bear the weight of that sin and take the punishment that we deserved crucified on a cross. I also pray that we would be in awe and wonder that it didn't end there. Yes, he said it was finished as he paid the price for our sins, but he went on to defeat death, defeat sin, defeat the grave, and resurrect. God, we place our hope in this Jesus who was raised to life because if he has the power to resurrect himself he then has the power to raise us from our sinful lives to new life here on this earth and he has the power to resurrect our dead bodies and give us new glorified bodies in eternity in heaven I thank you that the true prize of our faith though is who we will be with in heaven that is you. And so we wait with hopeful expectation of that day. But we get to live with that hope. Thank you, God, because of the resurrection. It's in his name I pray. Amen. And so this morning, if you have a decision, a response to make to this Jesus who died and resurrected, this Jesus who died for you, 
I'm going to be up here to your right as we sing this last song. I would love to talk to you about that response or, or even just pray with you. Will you stand and sing?